it is my privilege to get to be with you all. I feel like in many ways this is just an extension of home. I am grateful to see a few. I may have just done something tragic there. Oh, never mind. It's good to see uh, new faces, people I don't know, but also people that I recognize well. It's just a delight to, uh, to be here today. But more than anything, I want you all to know uh, that you're never far from our hearts and minds and prayers. It's uh, an ongoing thing that we pray for you. I know from my experience many years ago when my wife, Lynn Marie, and I went to Portland, Oregon uh, to plant a new church. We were from Texas, and uh, Dallas and Portland, Oregon are a long way away. And so one of the things that we uh, had this kind of recurring little question is, I wonder if anybody will remember that we're up here, you know, and there's this uh, kind of little fear that, man, is anybody going to remember us? And so I would say to you, although the geographic distance is not much here, I want you to know that you're always in our hearts and minds. We do pray. We love this church. We love your pastor. And we're just uh, asking God to give you a great sense of adventure and confidence in the work that he's going to do. This morning, if you would, turn to Psalms 119. Psalm 119. This will be our focus today. I know this is uh, different than the uh, focus that you all have been pursuing as a congregation recently. But I want to use this opportunity this morning to speak a word of exhortation uh, to you based on this particular portion of God's word, uh, knowing that it's something that has meant a great deal to me. Whatever we're going to do as individual Christians that you will do as a congregation to have a a robust, growing relationship with God is going to be on the basis of his word. Uh, if we don't base it on God's word, we'll drift away and we'll be interested in the God we made up Saturday afternoon. So we're going to uh, not do that. We're going to find out uh, what it is that we need to know and to focus on that. Uh, let me do a quick little survey here. How many of you enjoy reading uh, autobiography or biography. Got any biography readers, autobiography readers? I have always enjoyed that. I like all kinds of uh, books, and you know, I'm certainly not uh, too proud to say I enjoy a good thriller pretty regularly. So, you know, I don't want to give you this impression that all I would do is read uh, more heady stuff. But I do enjoy reading about people's lives, and what I enjoy. Uh, is the memoir. So that account, now I, I wasn't even totally clear on what separated a memoir from an autobiography, but basically it's this. Somebody that's writing an autobiography is focused on strict chronology, uh, details, wanting to just take you through all the things that happen one after the other. Whereas in a memoir, it's going to be somebody's reflections, but it would center on those things that would be most important to them. So if you read a political uh, person's memoir, you could expect that what is going to be the focus of that particular individual's writing is all around the, the world of politics. If you read a memoir written by a great chef, for example, you could expect to be regaled with all kinds of stories about food and kitchens and all that jazz. If you were going to uh, read a memoir of a financial guru, then you could expect to be uh, entered, entering into the world of finance. But what I want us to do today is look at Psalm 119 as a memoir. Because what it is is that it brings a perspective of one person's life 
on the value of engaging God's word substantively. It's interesting that we don't know the author of Psalm 119. Now, there's a lot of people that will tell you that they know, and you may know, you may think you know, but one of the things that I like is that officially we don't know. And why that's good for me is that it gives me room to enter in the story. If it were somebody famous like King David, I could say, well, yeah, that's King David, and he's real different than me, and it probably means that he got things out of engaging God's word that I can't get. But if it's just one person uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit reflecting on his experience with God's word, then that opens up the door for me to engage it. And what I want to do is issue a challenge to you, as I've been, found the Lord challenging my own heart, to go more substantively into God's word so that we might know him more and more. Now, Psalm 119, out of all the parts of the Bible that are fascinating, stands really uh, uh, toward the top of the list, in my view, uh, for a number of different reasons. Now, if you've got your copy of the Bible open, you might just turn there to verse 1, and then somebody tell me how many verses there are in Psalms 119. Let's call it out. We're small enough we can get that. What is it? 176 verses, making it officially Bible trivia in church this morning, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. Now, if you're looking there in your copy of the Scripture, you may notice a lot of the translations will break it out into these little subsections. Do you notice that with kind of a little odd alphabetical letter and maybe it written out. What it is is that this longest chapter in the Bible is actually broken out into 22 sections built on the Hebrew alphabet which had 22 letters. And so when the author, when this particular person wanted to write this perspective on God's word, he used this unusual format. That's why rather than just referring to him as the, the author or the writer, I like to refer to him as the poet because that's what he was doing. He was writing an elaborate bit of poetry. Now, in that first section, look in your scripture and see how many verses are in the first little block. Eight. Now, what you'll see is in each of the 22 sections, there are eight verses. So we've got 22 blocks of eight lines each. Now, another interesting feature and in why we do understand this to be poetry is that the poet decided in putting this together that in each of these sections he was going to take the first letter and in the A section, for example, if we were doing this in English, each line, each of the eight lines would begin with a word that started with a letter A. Then when you go to the B section, it would be eight lines with each line starting with a word with B if we were doing it in English. So let me just give you an example of what this might be. This is not coming out of the Bible. This is something that I put together just so we could see it and hear what it sounds like in English because we lose it uh, when we just translate. So kind of watch. Uh, you might get your fingers ready and you can just count the lines here. You ready? Almighty God, you are high and lifted up far above all creation beyond our highest thoughts. Absolutely holy. If you did not take the initiative, access to your presence would be blocked eternally. According to your great love and in your grace, you allowed us to come to you through Christ. His atonement paid the price for our sin 
and you accepted us as justified, just as if we'd never sinned. Now, I wish we could find a way to capture that same sense of, of alphabet, uh, alliteration and other things in the, in the uh, translation we have here. We don't have it. But as you're listening to it, know that that's there. So when you look at this, you're reading somebody's poetry. It's structured. It's beautiful. And you might ask, well, why did he do that? Why did God inspire this particular individual to put together this uh, perspective on his word in this way? We don't know. Perhaps it was because it was uh, easier for him to remember. Perhaps it was easier for others to remember. And perhaps it's the reason all poets do what they do. It's just because they think it's beautiful. And it is. But for us, I want you to come into this not as you might into an academic textbook or something like that. You're entering into a very personal uh, perspective that somebody is sharing with us. And so that's the way we'll look at it today. So we've got all of this this morning, and we look at these 176 verses in 22 sections, uh, an acrostic psalm, and the writer has a really singular focus. He is challenging us out of his own experience with God's Word to approach God's Word in a substantive way, a different way. And so what I want us to do is to draw on two key areas of insight from Psalms 119, I want you to relax. We're not going to go through all 176 verses. It'll be the world's longest sermon. But what we're going to do is see if we can pull together some uh, broad insights into this that can challenge us in our thinking. So the first category, if you read through all of Psalms 119 and you think about what seems to be important to the poet as, he, as he's writing this, it would be this category that I would just call deep and wide deep and wide. And so as you're thinking about your own experience with God's word, this would be my exhortation to you uh, to develop a commitment to having a deep and wide understanding of God's word as an essential part of your relationship with him. Uh, we see this uh, so clearly through all of this. It's almost as if this particular writer and as the poet was reflecting on all of these things, he needed more words to be able to describe his experience. It was unique, it was rich, and when he wanted to communicate it, he needed lots of words to do it. I mentioned a little bit ago that when Lynn Marie and I moved to Portland, Oregon, it was a big change from Texas. Anybody grew up in Texas? Any Texas people here? Yeah, you know, you don't need many words to describe Texas. That's why people from Texas tend to be a little braggadocious about it. It's kind of flat and dry, and there's four trees in the state. That's about, about it. So when we went to Portland, Oregon, we were really stunned by how different it was and found out you really can have trees. You know, we hadn't really spent time in Nashville, so it was exciting for us. But one of the things that we... Uh, learned pretty quickly is that because of this feature of the Northwest, that is rain, that people there have all kinds of sophisticated ways that they describe their experience with rain. I remember listening to the weather forecasters coming in and giving a forecast, and they were kind of doing the normal things, you know, predicting the temperatures and all of this. And I remember the first time I heard a forecaster say, and tomorrow, uh, we'll start off with it cloudy, and there will be a chance of sunbreaks in the afternoon. I thought, sunbreaks? 
what in the world? Why are you talking about a sunbreak? Well, it turned out that in the Northwest, a sunbreak was a very rare event, and it was worth mentioning. And people would look forward to that moment when in the midst of clouds, the sun would pop out for just a moment. Well, we didn't have that in Texas because Texas was one big giant sunbreak. So we didn't need that. But in this, there was this need for distinctive language. It's in that same sense that the writer, as he was putting this together in this wonderful reflection on God's word, that when the poet worked on Psalms 119, he actually used at least 12 different words for the Bible. He didn't just come in and say God's word or whatever. He used these different references. So let me just give you a little reflection on this, and then I'll show you in the first section we'll look at today. He used the word law five times, the word decree 23 times, the word precepts 21 times, statutes 21 times, command 21 times, judgments 18 times, word 22 times, instruction 20 times, promise four times, ordinances one time, word of truth one time, and teaching one time. And so in all of this, rather than just having this sort of simple, repetitive view, it's like he wanted to show the nuances of this. Now, there's a sense in which all of these are just um, similar words for the same thing, but there was this perspective he was trying to communicate. Let's take an example of this and let you get the flavor of it. Look there, Psalms 119. Let's read verses 1 through 8, and here's what I want you to do as you're listening. Watch for the different words that the poet pulls together here to describe God's word, and you can begin to do it. And in fact, if you've not ever uh, studied this chapter, I would encourage you to get a marker later on this afternoon. Go through and just note every time he uses a different word. But listen to this, uh, verses 1 through 8. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They follow his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. So there in just eight verses, the poet gives us seven different words. He's so familiar with God's word that he's capturing the nuance of it and talking about it. But we see this deep and wide concept not only because of all these words he uses to refer to different parts of the Bible, but we also catch this sense in which he is describing a progression over time. He's talking about all the things he had experienced in his life. We don't have time to look at all of those today. Some of them, though, are anchored in specific seasons of his life. That's where you get the sense of, of spiritual memoir that's listened. For example, the clearest one that we see that's anchored to a time and a phase in his life would it be in verse 9. Look at that, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be praised. Teach me your statutes. 
With my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So there we see uh, his experience as a younger man uh, struggling with sin and asking, how in the world will I win this fight? Only to find that the way that particular fight would be won was through God's word. And by the way, uh, you will learn as uh, you go through other stages, that's a lesson we learn young and the remedy doesn't change as we get old. We fight the battle against sin the very same way. So all through this, he refers to different sections of his life, different experiences. Always there is this sense of depth in what he does so that you find he's engaging God's word substantively. But also as you look through all of this, he's engaging it in a breadth that is uh, very challenging. What he talks about is important and He's not uh, just flitting superficially across the top of God's word. Now, here's where I'd like to just give you some exhortation. As a new congregation uh, and as Christians in any stage of life, the most important thing we can do to accelerate our growth in grace as Christians is to make sure that we are getting a more comprehensive view of God's word. A lot of times Christians have come in and we can get excited about the idea of God's word. So you'll have people kind of going, uh, oh, yeah, this is really important. And we'll talk about the Bible this and we'll talk about the Bible that. But really what we find is that many of us have not taken the time to really understand the message of the scripture. And so what we get engaged with is the idea and not the reality. If we're going to be people that are going to have the kind of experience with God's word that the poet had, we need to make sure that we're diving in deeply into all of that so that we can have that kind of substantive, deep, and wide experience. Now, how do you do that? Now, I know that in any group of Christians and people that are maybe even just checking out the faith for the first time, you might say, hey, just to be honest with you, I don't know much of anything other than what I hear when I come to church. Well, one of the things I would challenge you is don't feel guilty about that. Start at what level you are on. And if you've never had any systematic experience with God's word, do this. Uh, read the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts in the New Testament. If you did those two things, you would have an overview of the work and ministry of Jesus and the beginning of the early church. And so you could do that. You could just read a chapter a day and go through that it would not be that challenging. I mean, you could get it done. But maybe you're uh, one who's like many folks and say, well, uh, you know, I've never really even read through all of the New Testament because it can be a little confusing at points. Well, I would challenge you to do that. Uh, simply to start in Matthew, read a chapter a day, go all the way through the New Testament. Now, what I find is that if possible, if you've got a Bible that's... Uh, uh, not been written in, is to get you something to mark with and to kind of highlight as you go, particularly doing so at a rapid pace. Now, I want to challenge you here, and the last thing I want to do is put you under any sense of pressure. But what I would suggest to you is there is great value in the Christian life 
of trying to go through God's word in different ways at different paces. And there's even value in doing what I would call a little bit of a sprint through the Bible. So for just an illustration, let's just say you decided that you wanted to read the New Testament uh, at a rapid pace and you wanted to do so pretty quickly. Did you know that you could start off tomorrow and if you kind of scanned through nine chapters a day, that sounds like a lot, nine chapters a day, do you know you'd read the entire New Testament in the next four weeks? Now, that would be good. It would take a little bit of time, but it would not be impossible at all. And what you'd be doing is just going through, if you have familiarity with the Scriptures, what it would be doing is reminding you of those key things, and it's bringing back to mind what's there. Now, I began to find this whole thought of going through the Bible in different ways and at different paces uh, intriguing a few years ago. In fact, Al and I were in the same men's group at Grace, and it was in one of the books that we read. Uh, I was looking at it, and there was an admonition from one of the, uh, the authors about some of the leaders in the 1800s, some of the Christian leaders. And the statement was made that in that setting, it was considered sort of common that somebody would try to read through the entire Bible once a quarter. I thought, wow, once a quarter? You know, that sounds impossible. Well, I'm not suggesting that's what you need to do, but to have some kind of plan where you say, I want to be reading through God's Word on a regular basis. Now, when I first read that thing about reading it through the Bible once a quarter, I thought, that's just nuts. Nobody could do that. I mean, maybe you do that all the time. But when I heard it, I thought, that's just craziness. And then I started to look at it. I've got a little thing on my computer that shows how you can kind of make these personalized uh, Bible reading plans. And so I opened up that little uh, computer deal and said, okay, what would it take for me to read the Bible in 12 weeks? And it turns out it takes 14 chapters a day. Well, that's a lot, but it's not just bone crushing. It would probably, if you were scanning and going quickly, you could do it anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. So sometime, I'm not saying this would be what you'd do all the time, but maybe you'd say, you know what? I want to give special focus and I'm going to go through God's word and I'm going to do the whole thing in 12 weeks. And so you do it just for fun, just to see if you could do it. Now, here's what I've found. I mean, it's not like... I'm trying to say this is normative or what I would do all the time. But when I tried that experiment, what I found is that it was reminding me of things that I forgot. And part of the admonition in the Bible all the time is remember, 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 remember. And so part of the pattern was going through and just God bringing these things into my mind. And so things that I would normally not get to very often, God begins to cause me to remember them. Another benefit of doing these kind of rapid scan-throughs of the Bible, uh, not separate from going deeper in study or in the classes you all will do here, but there is this benefit of being able to just uh, not have so long in the Old Testament before you get to the New Testament. Has anybody ever tackled reading through the Bible in one year and you, you, you kind of died in Leviticus? You know, Leviticus is where you're glad you're only going to go through 14 chapters a day because I, I can go through Leviticus really, really fast. I mean, I'm just, there's just so much I want to know about the sacrificial system, you know, on an ongoing basis. 
So, I mean, I'm blasting through. But if you do go through it, remember, I mean, if you just took your Bible and looked at Old Testament, New Testament, about two-thirds of the Bible is Old Testament. It's very important. It's substantive. But when you're going all the way through the Bible, when you finally get to the New Testament, you're just going, I'm so glad I am here. I am just excited. And it's refreshing. And that's the sense that God wants us to have because it's been promised all along. So all of this, here's just the admonition to say, whatever you're doing, uh, find your way to have a deep and wide understanding of God's word. Take those times to go slow, to take a chapter, to take a book, and to understand it deeply. Uh, take the things that Matt is, is teaching and preaching and focus in and, and get that kind of discreet uh, portion of God's word into your heart. But think about maybe for a season of time trying to pick up the pace. Now, you can read through the entire Bible um, between three and four chapters a day, take you all the way through the Bible. It's not impossible, challenging, but it would be something you could do. So however you get it, what we want to do, our goal is to have a deep understanding of God's word coupled with a wide understanding of God's word because we want to have the whole thing. That's the first challenge. The second challenge, though, that I want to give is not only to have a deep and wide understanding of God's word, but to have what I would call a raw and real perspective of God's word. And this is what I think is one of the distinctive elements of Psalms 119. When we look at Psalm 119, it's really striking, and you'll see it if you have an interest in going through and looking at it again on your own. There is this very real perspective in which the psalmist dives down and he deals with the hardest things that would confront us in life. Now, here's what I'm worried about and why I would exhort you to do this. I have no concern about this church, uh, Trinity, because I know Matt. I know those of you who are uh, committed to building this church. I have no concern that you all will have a commitment to God's word. That's foundational value for you. But there is a danger in the Christian community. There's what we can end up being uh, accused of sometimes is having sort of a uh, a superficial, way too happy view of God's word, you know, and not dealing with the real substance as it relates to life. Uh, how many have been to Disney World at any point in your lives, children or as adults? Okay, I've been one time. And I don't know what your perspective is, but for me, there is no second to the vote of what is the most terrifying ride at Disney World. It is clear to me I'm still somewhat marked by it when we took our children when they were young. I remember going into the, uh, the particular portion of this ride, and it was kind of darkish, and there was mist coming around, and there were these little uh, mechanical figures everywhere up in rocks, and they were uh, kind of suspended in air, and, and, and they were... Uh, mechanized and maniacal and they would just kind of bounce and wobble back and forth and in unison they would all sing it's a small world after all and I mean it's terrifying I mean they were everywhere and they were singing in unison and they had little happy faces on and it just you just wanted to scream and run and it was awful now 
My concern is that sometimes the Christian community, when we talk about God's word, it begins to sound a little bit like, yeah, it's a small world after all. And it's not connected to the reality of life. Now, I want us, I want you, I want your church as people come to know that they're going to have a raw and real encounter with God's word. Now, let me give you some examples. Turn to chapter uh, 119, verses 25 through 28. Let me give you some examples. Listen to this. Now, does this sound raw and real? The writer says, My life is down, down in the dust. Give me life through your word. Now, if we stop there, Dave, if you could give me a blues riff right there. My life is down, down in the dust. I mean, that is getting uh, to the heart of it. I told you about my life, and you listened to me. Teach me your statutes. Help me understand the meaning of your precepts so that I can meditate on your wonders. I am weary from grief. Strengthen me through your word. Or here's another one. Go to verse uh, 81, 119.81. Now listen to this. This is excellent. I long for your salvation. I put my hope in my, my hope in your word. My eyes grow weary looking for what you've promised. I ask, when will you comfort me? Now watch. Though I have become like a wineskin dried by smoke, I do not forget your statutes. How many days must your servant wait? When will you execute judgment on my persecutors? Now, this is somebody that was involved in life, and it was hard, and he's looking for analogies of what's going on. And he said, it feels an awful lot like I'm above a smoking fire and I'm twisting around. God, where are you? How many days must your servant wait? When will you rescue me from my persecutors? Now, we look at all of this, and the reason I would exhort you and us together to have this kind of real-life perspective with God's Word is that's what people need. Because when we come together, we don't come out of an abstract, it's a small world after all kind of experience. We come with real hurts, real challenges, real problems, and it would be a great tragedy if we were not equipped as people to point others to the reality of God's Word. He does have substantive truths about those things. But it's not that superficial. It's not a grinny TV preacher telling you happy, happy news about God. It is real and it is substantive. Let me give you another example. Uh, if you go to uh, verses 65 through 72, let me show you this. An example of the kind of insights that come. He says, Lord, you have treated your servant well just as you promised. Teach me good judgment and discernment, for I rely on your commands. Now watch verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Anybody had that experience? When things were going good, you didn't stay as close to the Lord? It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good, and you do what is good. Now, that's an affirmation that will help you on the worst day of your life. The problem with a it's a small world after all approach to Scripture is maybe that's okay if things are rocking along. But when you are in some of the hardest days of your life, when you're trying to figure out, does God say anything about what I'm going through? 
you're going to have to have not only a deep and wide perspective of God's word, but you're going to have to have the raw and real. And you're going to have to know how to apply that word to real life. Now, uh, God's word is not always exactly what we would want it to be in the sense that, okay, God, what I want to know is give me three steps to make this hard thing stop. And sometimes what God's truth is, I will be with you as you pass through this, and you will know me more and more as you pass through this. Now, that's real. And so our challenge is to go in this direction and to trust the Lord. So let me kind of wrap it up this way. As we think about our lives as Christians, we think about your challenge as a new church, uh, let's just make the commitment that we're going to be people that are going to have a substantive commitment to God's word because we're going to experience God on the basis of what he's revealed about himself through his word. So we want to take all that he has. We want to go deep and wide. We want to know all that he said. We want to understand it. We want to go deep, but we want to have the full message. We also want to be raw and real. We want to know what's there. We want to know how it applies. And as we do this, we begin to be people that are transformed by this message. Uh, to close out, let's look at uh, verse 169, because this wraps up this particular spiritual memoir that the, the poet put together. And you see in this the way he kind of closes out his thinking. Verse 169. Let my cry reach you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea reach you. Rescue me according to your promise. My lips pour out praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue sings about your promise. For all your commandments are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I've chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your instruction is my delight. Let me live and I'll praise you. May your judgments help me. I wander like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. So today, I've just challenged my own heart as I've studied and thought about being with you. And hopefully God's word challenges all of us together. God has given us a great gift in his word saying, know me this way. Know me through my word. Go deep. Go wide. Be raw. Be real. Do all that God has said and let that experience shape all that we are as we walk with him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we would have never uh, guessed how to know you or how to relate to you. Uh, Lord, were it not for your revelation, we would have been absolutely helpless and hopeless. Uh, we wouldn't have understood the work that you intended to do to deal with sin. We would have tried to get better in order to get to you. Father, we would have tried to uh, fix ourselves rather than understanding that our wound was incurable. Father, if you hadn't revealed your truth to us, we'd never have known that you had promised for centuries uh, to uh, fulfill your promises through Christ. And Lord, in Christ, we found that way to be in relationship with you, justified through his finished work. So Father, as we're going through our lives, let us be people that would take your word seriously Give us that ability to know you as we would go through all of your word to learn what it means to find how to know you and experience you in all the seasons of our lives. Father, I would pray blessing on Trinity Church and on Matt and the team and all the folks who are here this morning. Father, would you let this church be a place that people will learn over time that they can come to know your word 
with the goal of having a deeper experience with you based on your word. Father, would you give them grace to do that? Would you give all of us grace to know you and to walk with you? In Jesus' name, amen.